because everyone's talking about it. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I want to be cool. Yeah, I want to be. I want to be with the cool. Kid. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing. And the F is for well, you decide. You're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO. And each week, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that hopefully will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 23rd of September 2022. I hope you had a good week. You are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I talk about customer data platforms. I go backstage with my chum, Liz High, who's written a book. And as I screwed up my recording scheduling this week, we dip into the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar Archive for a classic chat with Robert Rose. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark. If you're new to this podcast, Jeff is our resident Rockstar CMO advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director. Welcome back, Jeff. Or is it you welcoming me to the Jeff? Yeah, the that's a good Rockstar CMOs. That's Sorry. a good question. Since we're both remote in our in our yeah. home offices, then <laughs> whose studio is this anyway? I think well, you, you, just, I think you paid for the uh, you paid for the the, the podcast link. Uh, I paid for my own microphone, so I don't know. It's maybe we share this. Well, well, it's the. It's the um, Rockstar, C- Rockstar CMO studio with Jeff Clark. So I've yes. seen that, 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 I mean, this, yes, anyway. So um, welcome us both to the, the, the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and this week, um, well, I, I think we want to gloss over the weather, don't we? Because it's, it's not that it's nice. It's pretty shoddy. <laughs> <laughs> and for pe- people that don't listen often, uh, Jeff is in... New England, aren't you, mate? Just yes, and you're in Old England, and uh, and I'm in Old England. Yeah, and 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 for and anybody who's interested, we've we've basically gotten, I think, two months of rain within the first three weeks of September. So we're oh, wow. continuing on that trend, and um, yes, yes, we're in our mucklucks. Yeah, yeah, we just have uh, something something grey and miserable today. But anyway, that's that's the weather taken care of. But this week, um, we, as we promised last week, we are inspired by former guest and friend of the show, Simon Daniels, now principal analyst at Your Old Crew, Forrester, 
And he's he's written a, an article about CDP, which we found quite interesting. He was talking about whether you should build or buy. But it got us onto the topic of CDPs or customer data platforms, which we don't think we've covered. On we the have not covered so it before. No. So I thought we'd, so we thought we'd discuss it. Now, I need to declare an interest <laughs> on this uh, in that I'm the CMO of Spotlight Group and we have a CDP in our, in our group called Squeezely. So I'm slightly biased, so I'm going to let you do most of the opinionating on this one. <laughs> and we're not, and, and unlike last week, we're not going to do uh, one hit wonder one wonder yeah. because don't touch I that. I shall argue. Yeah. No, I shall argue that it's definitely a wonder wall. It's definitely, but, and you know, and I think I would definitely agree. If not that oh, we cool. have to, and and I, you know, yeah. I think we'll we'll avoid, you know, individual <laughs> vendor CDP offerings. You know, you can always consult your wave or your MQ to find out. <laughs> you know. Yes. All right. So. Let's start with the basics. Uh, so for, for the listeners that have not come across this particular three-letter acronym, and we love our TLAs, don't oh, we? Oh, love industry? TLAs. What is a CDP, mate? So a customer data platform is a, basically it's a software app, and it you know, could be you know, packaged from a vendor, could be something you build, you know, bespoke custom software. But it, what it does is it unifies customer data from multiple sources that you know, helps you improve the quality of the data, gives you, you know, tools for um, the analysis of the data, target, you know, help you improve targeting personalization. Just, you know, it's, it's, there are all kinds of benefits, which we'll, which we'll kind of cover. But, you know, the, the, the thing is that, that um, I, I think, you know, many people might say, as we describe it, many people say, well, I have that, but I didn't know I had a CDP. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, the term CDP came I don't know, three, four years ago. Uh, and a lot of the sort of the buyer beware is that a lot of the data vendors out there, you know, people providing uh, mm-hmm. data, you know, started to say, you know, we have a CDP. Um, yeah. And and that's the, you know, again, as as we sort of go through the pieces and parts of it, that's where you have to evaluate when you're, when you're hearing about that, when you're looking at it, you're really trying to understand, well, what is it that you're providing that would, you would call a CDP? And and certainly, as I mentioned, you know, you you can consult the analyst to look at, you know, <laughs> what their definitions are and what you know what they yeah. say you can get out of it, et cetera. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's hot. It's definitely hot. Absolutely, and 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 that's a really good point, actually, Jeff, isn't it? Is it, at the moment it's difficult to um, to sort the wheat from the chaff in terms of the fact that CEP amongst um, marketers become. Such, such a buzzword. And yeah. like you say, so many vendors are claiming to have a customer data platform. And the interesting thing I find about it is that the, the, the point of a CDP really is it comes from multiple sources and is, is kind of an independent arbiter, isn't it, of your data. And yet, and yet, and the, the, that's kind of bringing that together and making that central hub. But there's lots of other vendors that are claiming, no, we can do that. We yeah. can own all your data, right? Well, and, and yeah. a lot of vendors, you know, uh, that, you know, when you think about the, you know, sort of the the big triumvirate of of yeah. of applications from a, in a marketing tech stack, a CRM system, yeah. the marketing automation platform, the web yeah. content management system. I mean, a lot of the vendors that are in those spaces have either yeah. purchased, acquired, built the CDPs yeah. that are adjuncts to their main app because because again, they're yeah. they're masters of a lot of the important information. So they feel if, if I provide you the web CMS and I provide you the CDP, you know, and I provide you yes. some marketing automation tools, 
you know, yeah. it's yeah, I'm, now I'm providing the one-stop shop. Well, that's the battle, isn't it? Is the, it's the, the battle. battle for who owns, who is the single source of truth for either customer insight or content or whatever it is, right? It, yeah. every, all the vendors want to be that single source or the single orchestration place if we're talking yep. about marketing automation, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So so um, you mentioned, you know, uh, an organization might already have a CRM or something like that. So why would I want a CDP, Jeff? <sighs> Because everybody's talking about it. No, uh, be, <laughs> I want to be cool. Yeah, I want to be. I want to be with the cool kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so it fulfills on the promise of data unification. Um, and mm-hmm. and so then you might say, well, what is that? So you know, mm-hmm. any organization that has a good handle on its customers, understanding their engagement, their satisfaction, loyalty, the business, the value that provide the business, you know, where the, where revenue is coming from, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to have a way to, to unify data across the many different systems that would provide that, that so that you can, you know, build good customer profiles, the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the utopia of a single view of the customer. Mm-hmm. So you can orchestrate engagement across channels. You know, I want to, I want to make sure I'm following up, you know, through my market automation platform with people who are engaged on my web platform, uh, improving yeah. the whole targeting and personalization, you know, again, another Holy grail. Um, yeah. And then also just, you know, being able to do good um, measurement and analysis of your campaigns or from a sales wow. perspective, being able to do sort of like predictive demand analysis, you know, where are my best customers and, or, or where's my next set of best customers coming from. So, right. so in order to, to, to get to any of those good things uh, and certainly mm-hmm. anywhere where I have either worked or observed clients who've been able to do that, they have, a centralized data repository that they can they can you know build on and you know so today that's called the cdp in the mm-hmm. old days you know i don't know back in the you know 2010s and earlier might have been a data <laughs> warehouse uh yes. or a data lake or yeah. you know i don't know a data swimming pool or a data that you know what <laughs> that's one thing i could never understand is like so how's the data lake different from a data warehouse is different from, but yeah. anyway yeah, so you yeah. get you get tied up in in the in the in the buzzwords but yeah. but still it's like you know you really have to be able to pull data into a single source to be able to to mm-hmm. to make it effective for you right right so so i understand why i would want one or at least why i would want to centralize all my customer data so is it well what's the best next steps then of of going about acquiring one of these solutions well i think one thing is to understand um you know do you already have one uh and and, (laughs) and so if i'm if i'm sitting in marketing and 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 maybe i went to uh you know, trade show and I talk to a CDP vendor and I'm like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. I'm just also really excited yeah. about this. And then they go back and I start talking about it. And then somebody says, well, you realize we have, you know, an enterprise data warehouse or, or something, you know, there's a, you know, IT or some corporate organization already has built something mm-hmm. and they may have built, they may have built something that, that certainly could act as a CDP, or they may have just built mm-hmm. something that is actually the basis upon which to, you know, build a CDP or, you know, it, it, it may be, you know, like, you know, various companies I've worked at, you know, the system of record for customer data 
uh, I, I mean, back in the aughts, it was an ERP system. Uh, yeah. And then as I move, you know, as you, at least the companies I worked at, you move into the next decade, you know, then people thought it was, uh, it might've been the CRM, but then it's like, yeah. well, the CR, our CRMs are really not functioning well as a system of records. So we're, we're, we're yeah. going to pull out all of that and merge it with other yeah. data in a data yeah. warehouse. Okay. So yeah. now I've got that. So, so I think that's the first starting point is to kind of just do the sort of self analysis and to say, yeah, well, yeah. what do we got that actually is a, a, a master record for customer data, and 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 then then you can start down the the path of yeah. figuring out where you go next. I think that's that's great advice for anything, isn't it? I mean, marketers were always like, we hear a TLA or we we see something at a trade show, we see a shiny object, we yes, we need one, but so many of our marketing technology stacks are like these Franken stacks of things <laughs> that have been cobbled together, right? Yeah. And, and maybe you don't need a CDP because maybe you do already have your, your customer data in, in one place. But what I thought was interesting about what you just said is, um, so is this just for the marketing team to be able to yeah. implement this? Or is, is there something in the requirements that makes it a bit bigger than that? It, it, it You know, when you think of, I mean, that's where... If, it, you know, particularly if you call it a customer data platform, well, then yeah. you know, I mean, there are lots of functions within within an organization that are interested in customer data. You know, so it could mm -hmm. be services, or could be, and it's obvious, obviously sales. So it's obviously yeah. an interest to marketing, and obviously of interest to sales. Um, yeah. But you know, do you have other groups that are involved in in you know corporate planning services? Mm -hmm. um, you know, customer support, et cetera, that either are, you know, would would want to be able to leverage what a CDP offers. And 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 also, you know, they they may have tools that they're using which which, you know, which therefore become either feeds into your CDP mm -hmm. or some just something you have to deal with. So therefore, you know, you want to figure out, you know, who all those stakeholders are. And, and, you know, they become your buying group, you know, or your, whatever right. your, your, your purchasing committee, whatever it is that yeah. you, you need to pull together. Because if you go off and invest in buying a CDP and you haven't talked to anybody in sales, <laughs> you're dead. If you haven't talked to anybody in any of these other organizations, you may not be dead, but yeah. you're, you, you certainly will be wounded. <laughs> so, it, well, I, so, so, you know, pulling that group together to make a, because this is definitely going to be a, you know, it may not just be, you know, a collaborative purchase. I mean, this is going to be yeah. maybe perhaps an organizational wide right. um, requirement to to purchase. And so therefore you got to pull in a lot of stakeholders. Right. But like, you know, like we were saying a moment ago, I think a lot of the use cases seem to be very marketing and sales focused. But yep. if when, when you're talking about things like account management and service is presumably from if we get the data together, we can predict things like churn or we can look at you know, yeah. um, a customer's usage of a SaaS product, for example, and we can pull that in and, and use that as insight, right? So yeah. it really is yeah. an enterprise-wide platform, right? Yeah, when, like when I was at, um, at Pegasystems, so this is in the yeah. 2010, you know, and beyond, yeah. is, is that we did have a data warehouse that, that um, pulled in, um, you know, uh, support information and services mm -hmm. information. So in addition to the sales and engagement from the website and engagement from our developer development platform or development portal and, and from our market automation tool. So, you know, so 
you know, what one of the things that we were able to provide to salespeople was, look, you know, we can we can mm-hmm. see where service requests were, we can see where issues are, we can, you know, and so that gives. I mean, this was a, this was the old way of doing it, and it you mm-hmm. know becomes more difficult to build it in management. But that was a way to just say, here's the health of your customer, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms it's, of how many people at the company are engaged, what the, what yeah. the issues are, what what are they posting on the development platform that you know we may yeah. need to inspect. Well, I think that's I think that's interesting because we're always talking about new solutions, but the problems are the same, right? And in order is <laughs> it's trying to trying to solve yep. those those problems. So you know, it's thinking about you know what's the what's the purpose of what we want to use this for, right? And and like you've mentioned that there's a gap that you need to identify. You've got a gap in the stack, but like what what is what's the purpose of this? Yeah, and that's and and this is where you don't just want to mimic what the sales pitch was. So the vendor, right. you know, gives you the 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 um you know the utopia the you know yeah. the nirvana of of having all this information. Yeah. Um, but then you know if you're going to do um, both your gap analysis and if you're going to you know prepare for your um your you know your your business case for this then. Yeah. You've got to be really clear on why are we doing this? I mean, are we are we mm-hmm. just doing this to track and do a better job on um, executing on demand? You know, um, and and certainly there there were companies that you know I was exposed to when I was at Forrester where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, they were they were not using a CDP, but they were using the, their CRM system and you know, um, uh, uh, you know, and analytics tools that it, that also looked at intent data. And kind of just if if you're just trying to track demand, they were able to do it without literally having a CDP, right? Um, right. You know, or are you trying to get a comprehensive view of the customer journey? And then this is where you know you're sort of bordering into the whole customer journey and analytics, uh, yeah, Martech space. Um, you know, but again, a CDP could offer that promise. Um, yeah. You know, are you trying to, uh, you know, um, you know, look at Excuse me. You know, count scoring. You know, again, yeah. we talked about personalization, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you, and and predictive analytics. So, so being really crisp on what the purpose is is going to be yeah. critical for doing your gap analysis. Yeah, and I think I mean we always look at things from a bit of a B two B lens, but I mean it strikes me that where you're going to see huge value with a CDP would be in 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 B two C where you've got a lot of data that you yep. can use right to identify personas, trends. Do some personalization, although personalization is a bit of a grubby word at yeah, the moment. But, but you know, but, you know, in, in be relevant, yeah. But in B two B, you know, you've got tools out there that that can look at, um, you know, yeah. engagement from from accounts across lots yeah. of different platforms, you know, including right. intent data, et cetera, and 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 that becomes a valuable input into uh, a CDP yeah. from a from a B two B perspective. Well, that's I think that's a good segue to think about that. So. If if you if an organization is contemplating a CDP and they've identified that absolutely they they have this need, there there isn't an existing solution that has all of those data points in one place. They're looking to do do that single view. What sort of data will they need to integrate into the CDP? Where are we going to get that from? Yeah. Yep. So um certainly there's the kind of the the, the core pieces of uh your CRM system, your yeah. You know the data from your website, the um, data from your marketing automation platform. Right. So those are certainly from a marketing and even from a sales perspective, those are the yeah. um, core pieces. And then, and then there's sort of an extended set of marketing technology that that um, 
uh, again, depending on what the purpose is, I mean, if you've got mm -hmm. social listening tools, you may want to pull in that information. Right. If you're doing right. intent monitoring or you're doing av digital advertising, you'll want to pull in any kind of intent signals you get from from those platforms. Uh, and then, you know, and then you get into kind of a, a layer that's outside sales and marketing, which is, yeah. you know, just what else do we have in the organization that is, you know, that's, that's gathering data about customers. So there again, you know, your, your accounting system or your ERP system will have all kinds of information about the value from a revenue perspective of the yeah. customer. Um, again, some of the other things I've mentioned in terms of tracking service records, support records, you do any kind yeah. of customer loyalty um, surveying, uh, you know, NPS and, and other types of tools like that. You know, you want to be able to pull that information into the, the CDP as well. Um, and, you know, kind of as you as you build out your list of stakeholders, you know, you almost are, you know, in parallel, you're building out your list of potential inputs into the CDP. Uh, and, uh, and under, yeah. understanding what the, uh, again, a deeper sense of the purpose and then the quality of information you can, you can provide in executing on that purpose. Right. Right. So, so it's, un yes, <laughs> yes, I, I suspect we're going to be challenged from a time perspective, government <laughs> CDP, so we're coming up. Um, but so, uh, so that's so this this is interesting in that in that we're we're bringing all this stuff together and we're also thinking about well what we're going to use it for so it's not just bringing stuff to, um data together for the sake of it we need to think about that purpose what we're going to use the data for and all that kind of stuff and also i was thinking as you were chatting there about um you know the benefit to the customer is that you know uh, i know that people find some of this stuff creepy about you know multi-channel engagement and being consistent across all the channels but it actually stops us from making some stupid mistakes doesn't it when we absolutely. try and do personalization yeah so absolutely you know full well that this customer is not using your products or heavily using your products or bought your product so you can deal with them differently so uh, to the article that um we were inspired by to talk about cdps from simon he was talking about um, build versus buy. Now we know. Well, I'll add a link to the article in the show notes, and so people can see his conclusion. But what's your view on that? Well, I think that uh, so historically is is kind of inferred from some of the examples is that you know I mean people used to build these these things, yeah, and, yeah. and and so that's I think still a viable option yeah. but but then you got to understand do you have the skills uh, in-house yeah. uh again do you have some of the tools and components that are getting your part way there and then do you have the skills in-house to do that and if you're in a big organization like a an ibm or an sap or something like that you have the skills in-house <laughs> whether mm -hmm. you're managing it properly if you're a smaller yeah. organization you know um you know you're likely going to have to you know uh understand whether you've got the budget to, yeah. to purchase and um, uh, and so I think that's where, you know, this, you know, you've 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 got to build the business case, which gets you into the um, not only have I figured out, you know, who who the stakeholders are, what the gaps are, what we can get out of it. I've I've got to I've got to actually, you know, quantify what those benefits are going to be, and I've got to quantify what those costs are going to be for us mm -hmm. to get to get there, uh, and and you know. I mean, yeah. a big warning to a lot of people who are interested in this is that, you know, this is going to be likely a, you know, a multi-year venture for you. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, when you think about just doing the justification, actually purchasing, implementing, 
the change management that's involved. I mean, this to get people to where you're actually adopting and realizing the benefits. I mean, this, this is going to take it's time. A big change. And, and, yeah, it, yes. and, it, and it's not to put you off doing it because again, you know, if you want some of those, those, those benefits of the Nirvana of unifying the data, then this is what you're going to have to do. Well, I mean, I, I, I think as well from my experience at CDPs is that there is some low hanging fruit. You can get some early, early value from starting with CDP, but you need to really understand that in order to, in order to do the full move, you're right. It's a, it's a commitment, isn't it? And today we're going to do maybe a small piece of personalization on the website or whatever, but yep. then we're going to do more. And we've got to bring, because as we were saying, the more data you have in your CDP, the more valuable it's going to be both to you and to your customers right, it, in terms it, of who you're interacting with. And it could be something that you phase in is that you understand yeah. like today our CRM yeah. is our, is our single source of truth. Okay. Is there yeah. something that we can amend to the CRM yeah, okay. to, to get us that next step and then and then if i looked out you know three or four years can i can i build my way to having a really more holistic sophisticated cdp well i mean the first thing is to i mean i always think that single source of the truth thing is all 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 well and good and until you try and get everybody to agree to it (laughs) everybody's got their own single source (laughs) well and you know the thing you and i know the single source of truth is this podcast so (laughs) 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 very nice to say yes and uh, the other um well, also, I think that what we're seeing here is some of the common themes that we always talk about in terms of advice for buying any any solution, don't we? So perhaps we should revisit that on, on one of these episodes. Yep. But OK, mate, so so that's CDPs really um, quickly done in 23 minutes <laughs> so far. <laughs> so the last agenda item, we've done the weather, we've done CDPs. Uh, we've given a hat tip and a nod to, to, to one of our chums, friend of the show, Simon Daniels. And what song are we going to go with? Well, there's a there's an artist out there whose name is just calling out to be picked here. His name is Big Data. Uh, uh, and he's got a tune called Put Me to Work. Uh, and he talks about, I want to help you. I want to save you time. I want to take care of you. I want to ease your mind. Um, the the buyer beware for the, the, um, the song is that later in the lyrics, he says, I will replace you. Um, so when you're buying a CDP, Yes. Make sure you've got a role in its future. That's <laughs> <laughs> splendid. So I'll play out with big data. Put me to work from 2019. Can you believe it, Jeff? Can you believe cool it? Kids. Yeah. All right, mate. And um, I hopefully uh, will I will will you be in the marketing studio next week? I'll be there. Excellent. I'll see you then, mate. Cheers. I Thank you, Jeff. That was Put Me to Work by Big Data from 2019. A great CDP primer from Jeff there and our usual advice when selecting a new marketing technology, which we'll come back to next week. And thanks to Simon Daniels, Principal Analyst at Forrester, for his inspiration. I will include a link to his article in the show notes, as well as all of Jeff's links. 
Time to go backstage with my guest and chum, Liz High, an insight ninja, marketing strategist and author. She's worked with virtually every industry on both the client and agency side, using data-driven insight to help shape content, campaigns and brand value. Her clients have included everyone from tech giants, Microsoft, Dell and Amazon, to entertainment heavyweight HBO. Her passion and consulting practice is focused on supporting startup and growth fintechs, banks and credit unions to innovate, embrace brand thinking and tell resonant stories that drive growth. Aside from being from Scotland and based in Seattle, she's like a sister from another mister, as she, like me, loves Chelsea Football Club, a gin and tonic and the occasional glass of wine. And of course, marketing. And now she's written a book. Great to catch up with Liz. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Liz, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. You, I've known you for, for many years, and mm. it's about bloody time, probably, that I have you on the show. So <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. Um, but for people that don't know you, Liz, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So um, I think, you know, without revealing age, I'd probably describe myself as a, a highly experienced um, um, insight, research, strategy and, and kind of marketing professional. Uh, yeah. So if you were to look at my career, I've done pretty much everything from, you know, starting very early in actually in government and mm-hmm. learning, you know, a lot about insight, data and research there from a kind of social perspective. Moving on to my more glamorous roles, where um, I work for the likes of McLaren Racing Team. I did really bizarre jobs like um, kit census on the European Golf Tour, where I'd have to kind of go and chat with golf caddies to work out what all the pros were wearing, their socks, their, you know, whatever. Wow. And yeah. um, there's a whole industry out there that sells that stuff. And wow. um, really then moved on to being a you know, a full-scale agency person setting up my own business, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. I ran for about 13 years. And yes, so I'm going to ask you about that. In a company, which is how you and I met. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I'm going to come to that in a moment yeah. because uh, you founded that with our mutual chum, Misha Trump, who I had on the show on episode 63, which goes to show how long I've left it to talk to you, Liz, which is yeah. a bit embarrassing, really. But yeah. So. It's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm not offended. That's okay. <laughs> and I also like the way you're talking about how to describe your experience. I think I think I've taken to calling myself seasoned. <laughs> but I like that one actually. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things. So recently, uh, you've written a book, which is what yeah. piqued my attention, and um, and I and I and you were kind enough to send me a copy, and I think it's super. So I thought it'd be a good thing to share with the listeners, and it's called "Think Like a Brand, Not a Bank," which mm-hmm. I think is. I've got that correct, right? Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll be discussing your book quite in detail because we've got plans mm-hmm. for this, haven't we, Liz? We have uh, indeed. We'll talk about it a bit. <laughs> but give us a quick overview of what the book is about. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, it comes back to, you know, a lot of the work I've been doing recently is focusing on financial services, businesses, both in fintech world, you know, banks, credit unions, um, I live in the US now, although I don't sound like it. So I've been doing Mm -hmm. quite a lot of work with kind of emerging uh, US financial brands and and kind of apps in particular. And I find myself when I was working with banks and credit unions going through the same kind of conversations, hearing the same challenges, the same reasons for not doing things. Mm -hmm. And... 
I felt like I, and together, I, I wrote the book jointly, actually, with with um, Alison Netzer, who is CMO of uh, Nimbus, which is, a, again, mm-hmm. a, a big kind of fintech in the US. And yeah. both of us were spending time going through the same conversations. And it occurred to us that, you know, we are really passionate about this idea that banking can change people's lives. If you're financials, right. if money is working for you, life is just mm. better that's so true. the only yeah, yeah. and the only people <laughs> that can do that is banks credit unions and fintechs today mm-hmm. so we yeah. kind of took all of our combined knowledge for you know our equally long careers and thought mm-hmm. you know what have we learned what yeah. are the principles that are going to help banks to think a bit differently how are we going to mm-hmm. make banks as successful as patagonia how are we going to make right. banks successful as Porsche? So right, kind of taking right. all of the experiences that we've had working with big brands like that and applying mm-hmm. it to a bank and a financial kind of series. I, lo- I love it. And we're going to talk much more about this. I'm really looking forward to it mm-hmm. because what I, when, I re- when I read the book, um, I was thinking, well, this applies so much to a lot of organisations yeah. that especially, I mean, as you know, my background is B2B tech. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of tech organisations have the same challenge where they're thinking about their product yeah. rather than thinking about the importance of brand, the importance of what people think yeah. about them and how they perceive them. So it's, it's, it's anyway, we'll get back to the book in a sec. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get, but let's, I mean, the point of this part of the interview, and we'll, again, we'll talk about the book a lot, but this, this interview is to get to know you a little bit, Liz. And mm-hmm. um, what inspired you to start that marketing career or more specifically marketing research and insight? Because I know you've got a history with that. How, yeah, what, what absolutely. Got you so I think um, I I like evidence and I like data and I like reasons for doing things. Mm-hmm. So it really, I think it all started very early in my career when I was involved in doing things like census collection, data yeah. analysis, working out how to get money for <laughs> local and community projects. And all of that had to be based on who lives here, what are they like, what needs have they got, what problems have they got. And I got this real passion for understanding the world that I lived in and Mm. the other people that lived in that world. And it just seemed like a very natural place to to start a career is if you Mm -hmm. want to do, you know, make some changes in the world, which I think we all Mm do. Uh, you want to, you know, think about what's going to make a difference in people's lives, in my life, in my family's life. That's coming up with experiences, products and solutions that are rooted in what people really, really need. Right. And right, that's where right. I and the way, Yeah, no, I love that. And what was your what was your first role? Was that when you founded the agency, when you founded Intrepid? Was that that? kind of um, light bulb moment or had you been working your way up to that so we've been working way up so Misha we talked about Misha earlier Misha and I had worked for a very specialist really quite cutting age um, boutique agency and um, how we met is Misha was actually on secondment to Microsoft Mm -hmm. and I was the account director on Microsoft for the agency and then what Misha and I kind of discovered was that we had a very particular way of looking at the world where we didn't mm-hmm. do just research and write a report about numbers and whatever all the numbers said but we got really into the insight and the storytelling and you got to remember mm-hmm. this is like 
maybe 30 years Some time ago. ago. (laughs) That was before the whole concept of being storytellers existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, it's always fun hanging out with you and Mish anyway and, mm-hmm. the, and the stories you guys tell from back then because you were in London then, weren't you? We I were think. certainly in London then. We were in London yeah. in a big way then. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And um, was it the Microsoft connection that took you to Seattle then? Um, so, yes, it was. So we we had the, the agency in... Um, in London, but yeah. both Misha and I were spending so much time flying back and forward to Seattle. So yeah. in that kind of, you know, Microsoft way, they very politely said, if you want to keep doing all this stuff, you need to set up, a, you know, a Seattle yeah. institution. Yeah. So that's what we did. Misha, I stayed in UK and, and ran the, the European side of the business. And Misha went over, you know, to, to set up the, the Seattle business. Right, um, right. Well, that's where I've always known you guys, right? Is, yeah. Is yeah. You, you're in Seattle now, aren't you? I am in Seattle now. Yeah, it's my it's my new home. Um, I went there 10 years ago, swearing that I was only staying for two years, and now they <laughs> to carry me out. <laughs> well, I know, I mean, from, from that hit, I mean, you did, we did sort of blur over, like, how many years ago that was, but you mm-hmm. were very early into that, and presumably... Yeah. And then life changed, and I mean the world changed rather. And mm-hmm. what I know you guys for is is the way you've used things like social media, modern tools. Yeah. Tell us about that, Jenny. And what what's changed in your sort of history with 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 insight? Yeah. So I think I mean part of the reason that you and I ended up meeting is that we were yeah. at this really interesting kind of intersection of the digital world and mm-hmm. the real world. Yeah. You know, we're not talking like metaverse. We're talking <laughs> suddenly <laughs> where um, yeah. we were really starting to do um, what we call kind of digital ethnography. Mm-hmm. So as kind of culture moved to be much more online than real world, mm-hmm. we took all the principles of observational research, which we typically would have done. So as an example, both Misha and I kind of traveled the world Uh, with Microsoft, um, going Mm -hmm. into people's homes and observing them using technology. Right. Thinking about what does that mean, observing them playing games, you know, observing them just meeting with their families. So we thought, okay, well, that's great, but there's this whole culture that's online. Now, how do we take those same practices and apply Mm. them to digital communities? Right, right. And then you were you were early in using like the Facebook feed and all that kind of stuff, yeah, weren't you, in yeah. doing that? Yeah. And yeah. what that kind of le- lent itself to was, uh, you know, Misha's from a mathematical background. I'm much more from a kind of social sciences background. But both of us were really interested in the gazillions of pieces of content and opinion that were just being shared openly mm-hmm. in social channels. Mm-hmm but no one really knew how to analyze them. Right. So again, the same principle is how can we take all this really messy, massive data and turn it into Mm. insights? Right. And we started using some of the very early social media tools at that point. Yeah, yeah. And it was... um... SM2, wasn't it, at SM2, the time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, and um, you guys then got then you got acquired and we met, which, which yeah. is great. But what, but back, sort of, I, I want to ask this question in a more sophisticated way, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say it as it is. But why is this research so important? What, what is it that marketers are understanding from the work that you guys do? 
I mean, it's about getting underneath what really, really matters to customers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a, you know, as marketers or brand people, I mean, we're kind of a little bit egotistical. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> yeah. We all, you know, we admit it. Yeah. Is it's about our brand, our business, and we want yeah. to ask you the questions that we want to know the answers to. Absolutely, yeah. And that yeah. is the traditional research mm-hmm. methodology. Yeah. Answer my questions that I know I want to answer you. What yeah. we always try to do as a business, and why I kind of love the kind of social data, is we don't have control over what's produced we can ask questions of that data yeah but if we listen and analyze that properly Mm -hmm. then you really get underneath what actually is important what people actually want to talk about and most importantly the language that they want to use when you talk about it back to them so if you think about this idea of resonance yes that's what it's all about Yes, I, and I, and you guys have always got the good language as well, you and Misha. I mean, I love the, the resonance and relevance and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, so, and have you? Is that what you found is different? Because obviously, surveys and stuff like that are, are, are kind of, um, you, you know, there's a certain kind of person that fills in a survey, right? So you're not going to get a, a good picture of the whole community. But you find with social, you can, you've got that depth of of answering the questions that maybe you didn't think to ask, if you see what I mean, or somebody didn't want to ask. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. it's, I think one of the challenges with the, the industry, or certainly when, you know, Misha and I started mm. working in it, is that basically the tools that were out there were quite mm. blunt instruments. And all yeah. anyone really thought about was the concept of sentiment. Mm. So is my brand good or bad? That's pretty right. much all that social media data could do. Right. But we applied all the principles of, you know, structuring data. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I still I believe in surveys. I'm a great fan of the traditional kind of focus group, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I use that as a way to then interrogate the data set. Okay? Right. So if you can, for example, learn what are the trigger words that suggest someone is actually in a buying journey? Mm-hmm. What are the trigger words that suggest that someone's on a journey to brand advocacy? Right. And if right. you can learn the language from talking to real people, then mm-hmm. you can be super smart about how you pull the data sets out of social. Yeah. And it becomes yeah. very actionable at that point. It's not just but, brand, it's action. Right. And I think the the perception there is the action is to is to engage with that particular consumer. But I think the action is actually learning the language of the consumer for the next consumer. Right. So that you you know what brand attributes are important to the consumer that you need to convey. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, you're you're the king of content. So (laughs) you you know know that part of, you know, a conversation When you're having it face to face, you know, you mirror each other's language, you take, you know, cues from the conversation to develop your ideas. That's what so well structured social data allows you you to do. So when you start applying kind of AI techniques, you know, we talk a lot about topic modeling and that's Mm -hmm. really getting underneath the, you know, the top 10 things, the language, the themes that you need to be part of. Yeah. And a lot of that's about just being in the right parts of the conversation. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm fortunate to have worked with you guys on a few projects. And that's, that's critical as a content marketer is what are going to be those really important topics? And how is it that the audience um, describes those topics? How do they describe your products? How do they describe the problem that your product solves? All of that good stuff. And that comes out of your research. And I've, all, I've enjoyed working with you on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think when you know, when you're thinking about particularly, you know, positioning statements, messaging, yeah. and then yeah. all the way up to your campaign planning. Yeah. If you can be aligning around the themes that are emerging. Yeah. You're ahead of the market. It gives you a real yeah. competitive edge and it's data driven. Yeah. And again, that to me, I'm coming back to numbers oh, are important. Insights are important. Data driven content's yeah. important when you're building a brand. Yeah. Yeah, I've been in the room a couple of times where Misha's defended, you know, the work yeah. because of data. And, and I see her, the look of frustration in her face when somebody tries to come up with one of their gut feeling, oh, mm-hmm. the highest person in the room saying, no, our customers think this. No, here's the data. This is what it says. Yeah. I think it's it. And, and that trumps everything, doesn't it, when when you have those conversations about yeah. brand. Anyway, I'll, I'll just look it's looking at the time. I'm always doing this. I get I get carried away. Let's get back to your book because I yeah. better had, hadn't I? Yeah. Um, but what, what I'm interested in with the book, because we will talk about the book a lot. I'm, we're going to mm-hmm. serialise it. I'll talk about yeah, that yeah, in a bit. But um, a lot of us marketers and thinking about our listeners, um, we think we've got a book in us. What was the process for you to write the book? How did you find that process? Um, at first, it felt really, really daunting. <laughs> yeah. And then what I did is I looked through, you know, I've got one of those files that's called Stuff I've Written yeah. on my PC. And I actually nice. went through that and I was like, you know what, I've probably written three or four books, mm-hmm. but I've never written yeah. them all in one time. But there's a lot of kind of content. And yeah. that was sort of the starting point. And as I said, I wrote it jointly with with Alison. At that time, we, we were mm-hmm. working together at Nimbus. And... Mm-hmm we just started having weekly meetings where we kind of, you know, we shot the shit nice. about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly we that... start to see these kind of themes that were coming through in our one-to-one conversations. Mm. And um, mm. actually our, our CEO at that point said, why don't you two just write a book? And yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah, all right. Well, why don't we? <laughs> you know? And then I kind of confessed it was always a bucket list item for me. I'd always wanted to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. And then we just kind of got going. We did like a few thousand words, you know, a week. Yeah. And then we got an editor to help us that, you know, to kind of make us be more structured in our thinking, um, Mm. to take away all my terrible typos. And uh, it just Mm -hmm. kind of came out from there. Did you just get grab a freelance editor or was that something from the publisher or from... Yeah, yeah we did yeah, it through cool, a publisher. Cool. So um, we engaged yeah. in a, a company, they're really awesome, called Scribe, who are out of Austin mm-hmm. here in the US. And um, mm-hmm. they just were there as our kind of mentors. And, you know, they made sure that we met once a week. They made sure that yeah. we continued the process and, you know, it yeah. didn't leave us with the, you know, yeah. the, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm too busy today. Yeah, my yeah. treatment it's like, like any... a job of work. There you go. That's how yeah. it happened. It's like any creative project. I was listening. I mean, we're on a podcast, and and yeah. the other day I heard that like something like fifty percent of all podcasts, you know, wither on the vine after like three episodes. Wow. And I think that's probably the same with a lot of books. There's a lot of books we've never heard of where the where the author had got three chapters in and then gave up. So I think that's that's great. That tenacity sounds like the, yeah. the secret to it. 
yeah, yeah. It's a project, so, yeah. Don't call it a passion, call it a project, yeah. I love that. I love that. And um, and we'll come back to the book. As I said, what we'll do, and I've done this a couple of times, on regular mm-hmm. listeners might know that I've done this a couple of times where we've serialised a book. So we'll go dive into your book. And by the way, a thing like a brand, not a bank, is incredibly readable and, and very accessible and, and applicable to other people that are not banks. I enjoyed it, particularly the opening where you're talking about brand. But anyway, we'll um, yeah. we'll come to that in a moment. Now I'm going to wind up to our final question. Mm-hmm. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, where we throw all the bullshit snake oil and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. Liz, what would you chuck in there? Oh my God, this is going to offend everyone that you and I have ever worked with and possibly you as well. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I am it. I am rolling up personalization into a big ball and I'm chucking <laughs> it into the swimming pool. Um, I think that the concept of personalization has kind of, her- kind of held the industry back for I cannot tell you how long. You know, it's been an obsession, yeah. which is incredibly yeah. hard to do, is only getting harder to do. And yeah. it's time to kind of, you know, really think about you know, how can we be more about pulling people in? How can we think mm. about personalization? You know, how can yeah. we think differently about this and get rid of that whole big concept? Well, I've only been doing personalization for just over 20 years, Liz, so that's, uh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I did warn you. But you make a good point. You make a good point. And also nowadays, people don't say personalization. They say personalization at scale, which probably tells yeah. you that it's yeah. probably a load of bullshit now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, no, I mean, right. I've been kind of talking about like my version and, you know, our version of it is the idea of really focusing on, on niches or niches, mm-hmm. as I'm forced to say yeah. in America. But um, yeah. That to me is kind of the the movement that's much more freeing, particularly yeah. from a brand perspective, than well, personalization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely, and that's the advice. I mean, I you know, with this podcast, I mean, I, the the problem with it is it's not niche. It's just about marketing, which makes it difficult. But any any content marketing needs needs to be you know you really need your audience to be self-selecting rather than you deciding it's personalized yeah. right it's yeah. the, oh this is the thing for me at this point in the journey that i'm going to yeah. find useful that's that's slightly different from personalization yeah. but yes we, maybe we should um, debate this another time but i love yeah. this so personalization in the swimming pool and liz when listeners spin the dial on the interwebs where they're going to find you so you can find in our, it's slightly long, but really quite literal <laughs> website, which is called uh-huh. thinklikeabrandbook.com. Right. So you can yes. find the website there. And obviously the book is available on Amazon. So think like a brand, not like a bank. Um, you'll be able yes. to find us quite easily there. Nice. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And what about you, Liz? You're on LinkedIn, Twitter. Where do you hang out? Oh, yeah. So I hang out on Twitter and uh-huh. my, I am... Um, now I need to get to the right way around because on, on, on Mondays I tend to get it wrong. It is brand <laughs> before bank. So brand uh-huh. letter B number four bank. You can yeah. find me there on Twitter uh-huh. and um, LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy. There aren't very many Liz highs around. So you can find me fairly easily on LinkedIn. All right. All right. Well, it's great to catch up with you, Liz. And uh, as I say, we'll start diving into your book with a little mini series about that. I'm looking forward to doing that too. And your book is Think Like a Brand, Not a Bank. And we'll be chatting again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Her book is called Think Like a Brand, Not Like a Bank 
published by Lioncrest, available in all good online bookshops and some rubbish ones too, or at thinklikeabrandbook.com. And as I mentioned, we'll be dipping back into her book in a mini-series we'll be recording next week. Right, it's the end of the week, and time to wind down in the Rockstar CFO virtual bar with my chum, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory. I'll be honest, I fucked up the invite this week. And as we record just in time on Friday night, we couldn't reschedule. So this is a replay from 2020 and episode 28, which I hope is new to most of you. And apart from some references to the pandemic, we make the same jokes. So I think it's still relevant. Hope you enjoy this. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Good to hear your voice and see you virtually here in the bar. Um, yes. You know, this week um, I have a little bit of an end of summer, beginning of fall drink. Um, and this one mm. is really no muss, no fuss. I'm, 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 I'm going to guess you've got the ingredients for this one because this one Ooh. is truly as no muss, no fuss as it gets. It, it's, uh-huh. it's called a, a, a blueberry hibiscus dandelion tea. Um, oh, <laughs> And so, uh, you know, um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, this is something you should be able to pick up at the local grocer. Um, mm-hmm. And then you just, I mean, mm-hmm. it's literally that out of a can. Um, and right. it's lovely. I should say a can. It's a, it's a glass bottle, but, it, but a, a, you know, a container yeah. nonetheless. And, um, yeah. and uh, a nice Reposado tequila. And this is one of those ones where you pour a little tea into the glass you pour a little reposado you take a sip do you have the night mix eh, maybe you do mm-hmm. maybe you don't you pour a little more mm-hmm. tea and you pour a little more alcohol in you you sort of just mm-hmm. do it pour each in until you get the right flavor and mix and you've mm-hmm. probably had a couple before you even take your first sip yes <laughs> i was gonna say you probably do that all evening <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right well that as you say that sounds incredibly simple let me see what i have in my desktop bar this evening i have um oh what we decided was the english tequila didn't we i have yeah, that's right gin. Tequila. yeah this week i've got hendrix so we've ah. got some hendrix so let's stick loyal some to that hendrix. hendrix brand they should sponsor the show i think i'm hoping for that i'm hoping for that I, and then i was gonna do like a bake-off between them and uh, bambay sapphire oh, see, see who wants to go up for it yeah well, I mean, I, I, I just like gin. Uh, did we put ice in that? <laughs> you might there have noticed. that too. Yeah. Did you put ice in that? Uh, yes, indeed. This is a end of summer sort of Holy sit on the porch kid. kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And then you said a bottle of something, right? What was this bottle? Uh, yeah. You've got a little blueberry hibiscus dandelion tea there. I have tonic. Yeah. Okay. Similar. That's- <laughs> it's got botanicals in it yeah is it that... does all right yeah that's true. yeah yeah botanicals are <laughs> all right and you said i need to taste it yeah that's right mm. oh i um i might have overdone it on the tonic there let me let me just try that again top it off yeah yep oh yeah that's nice robert and i i think it, it's hard because I have a very refined palate, as you can imagine. I would probably need to continue to top it off, try a bit more tonic, top it off for, for a good couple more hours. Yeah. So um, so while we're doing that, what are we chatting? So where are we actually? Where are we this week? Oh, well, I think, you know, before it gets 
cool, um, and, mm. you know, as this end of summer sort of wraps up here. I think we need to make a quick trip to my, the place where I was born, actually, um, which mm-hmm. is Galveston Bay. It's in Texas, um, although you yeah. wouldn't recognize it as Texas. Um, it's a very quaint little town on the coast, um, on the Gulf of Mexico. And over the years, it's it's been everything from a you know horrible you know place to be and all of that as an out uh, outlier of Houston and now has yeah. really had a resurrection of sorts over the last call it 15 years and has now really come back into its own as a beautiful little bucolic town again um, that you nice. know that uh, I mean from what I remember and I moved away from there when I was very young um, the way yeah. it used to be which is just a beautiful oh, little wow. beach town and sitting out on the porch there enjoying some Gulf shrimp and sipping mm-hmm. on a, on these as we sort of watch the sunset over the Gulf, it'd be a nice evening. Sounds sounds better than I presume. I mean, yeah. here in the UK, when in London, when somebody of notoriety has lived in a particular house, they put a blue plaque outside that tells you a little bit about the person. So presumably you've got the equivalent there in Galveston, Texas, where it says Robert Rose lived here or something like that. <laughs> <You> <laughs> or, or avoid this place because he lived here, yes. <laughs> if it's not there, I think we'll ask Dennis, Dennis Shaw to uh, pop down and uh, I'm sure he'll figure it out. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the other listener. <laughs> the other listener. <laughs> well, that sounds beautiful. And, um, and uh, obviously, you'll you'll um, show me around, and we'll reminisce about reminisce about your childhood. But after we've done that, what uh, we'd probably turn to marketing, like we always do. What what's the topic for this week? You know the the thing. One thing I've been thinking about uh, recently is the differences between B two B, B two C, and needs and wants. Mm-hmm. And you know, I often hear you know you, you there's always a grass is greener kind of thing when you hear marketers talk about the other. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that often comes up is, you know, well, the B2C, you know, they get to meet wants, right? They get to, you know, nobody needs gym memberships or alcohol or fashion or social media apps and, and, you know, all of that. Um, Or is it a need, right? Are you selling things that people need, but don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want, you know, healthcare, electricity, yeah. fuel, insurance, you know, nobody wants to buy those things, but they need them mm-hmm. and they have to mm-hmm. buy them. And so how mm-hmm. do you market those things differently? And is there a difference? You know, is there a difference in that? And, you know, so we can open up another, another bottle of Hendrix, I'm sure, and, and, and <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, yeah. but, but what it comes down to, I find is, is that it's, the interesting thing is, is that we need the reason that needs and wants are not different is because if we actually do look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and go up to that self-actualization, mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. we want that helps us be self-actualized is a need, right? It, it, it is mm-hmm. something that we need to be our better selves. And so, mm-hmm. so why do people buy things they don't need? Well, because they do need them. In other words, we, mm-hmm. we believe yeah. that we need them. And so, Really what yeah. we're, you know, we're all, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is fulfill a self-actualized need for our customer. And so ultimately it's about appealing to that, you know, that ability for people to be their best 
you know, and more evolved yeah. self. And so yeah. that's ultimately, to me, a fantastic argument for content marketing. Because yeah. if we're trying, you know, if part of our goal as marketers is to help people be their best selves, well, then we need to fulfill all of those self-actualized needs or as many as we certainly can. I mean, I know yeah. our customers have their own responsibility to give their own needs, you know, in their own lives, deeper meaning. I get all that. But so we need to be content marketers to deliver value with content around our business because we can be the ones to help them make those, you know, realizations, those, you know, we can help them along their mm -hmm. process to help them find those things. And so mm -hmm. it really is ultimately a, a business case for me when I start thinking about that needs versus want versus B2B versus B2C. Well, the, the heart of all of that is our ability to deliver value through inspiration, content, educational content, or entertaining content to help them be their best selves. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting because, and weirdly enough, because we're we're still dealing with the pandemic. What what brought that to mind there was um, the way that a lot of people reacted about their vacations here in the UK. So it was almost like it was a human right, like a need that people needed to go on vacation, which um, you know you you would have thought was a want, like you were saying, right? But it does seem to be that's how people define themselves. And when they couldn't do it, they were, you know, it was a very emotional thing for them. Absolutely, right? I mean that, yeah. you know, it, the, the higher up you go in, you know, yeah. in that hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, you know, you sort of, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, physiological needs, safety esteem, yeah. you know, all that stuff are, yeah. you know, as we start working up the, the, the ladder there, but as you get up yeah. to fueling potential, right. Fuel, you know, basically yeah. self care, which is what vacation really is. Um, yeah. you, you know, you have to conclude that at some level that is a need. And the reason yeah. it's a need is because we believe that it is, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, whether it scientifically is or not, uh, you know, because yeah. we believe that that self-care, that self, um, you know, preservation of our sanity through vacation, it, it we we absolutely believe that we need it, and thus we really do. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, is that 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 drives a lot, like you say, content marketing, isn't it? Is it's to generate to create that story that puts the potential customer in that where they where they see that need for themselves right they see themselves not just wanting something but needing something is that is that what you're saying there yeah it's like the you know so to, to use the example of your vacation and and sort of as mm -hmm. a human right which is <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that is the most you know i know you all brexited and everything but that is that is the most <laughs> european of all thinking right you know it's like you know don't mess with our eight weeks man you know, um. <laughs> well, it was really the travel that, um, and and weirdly that you mentioned Brexit. It was it was like it was a, a, a British person's human right to travel to Spain <laughs> and yeah, and right. and be exactly. and have some sunshine for two weeks. It was, right. What are you doing to us? <laughs> yeah, but you know, when you think about to, to use that uh, that example, mm -hmm. you know, whatever we're selling that fits into that that need, right? You know, whether it's yeah. travel or food or yeah. restaurants or, you know, uh, tickets of some kind for, uh, you know, a, yeah. a show or whatever it is, 
the content, the responsibility we have as a product marketer in that is to mm -hmm. fulfill the goal of the product, right? To fulfill mm -hmm. the features and benefits of the product we're selling. And that's wonderful. That's marketing, right? That's just great mm -hmm. marketing. But mm -hmm. our content has a responsibility. Our content marketing has a responsibility to help them self-realize or be the better version yeah. of themselves as they use that yeah. product or, or, or yeah. so that they will use that product. Yeah. You know, one of yeah. the things that I often talk about in my workshops is the idea of one of the main goals of content marketing is teaching customers how to be customers, right? Um, mm -hmm. In other words, we're going to help them learn how to not just that our stuff is good, but how they get the mo how they would get the most out of our stuff if they were to buy it. And, and, yeah, and yeah. show how it actually not just like gets them to a show to watch some entertainment, but why this is going to elevate their lives. And, and yeah. that deeper meaning that is something that can quite frankly only be delivered through the idea of content marketing because it is outside yeah. the features and benefits of our product typically. Yeah. Yeah. And may I flip that around a little bit from a b2b perspective do you think it's the opposite with b2b in that um you're actually wanting your b2b buyer to want the thing that they need well that's so exactly we're creating right. wants. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know what i mean and and yeah. so well or you could even say it a different way it's helping them realize that they need it right mm -hmm. yeah. you know what i mean helping them realize yeah. that they don't just want it that they actually do need it um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. because a lot of times what you get is in the B2B sale is, well, it's mm. a nice to have. Right. And yeah. you know, this is the classic, you know, um, the classic, uh, you know, in B2B marketing, you know, the, the sort of classic uh, 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 foil of a sale is not the mm. competitor. It's the no decision. Right. It's that's the, it's, true. It's yeah. when there's no no decision yeah. made at all. And this is, yeah. you know, this is where content marketing plays a huge role in the B2B sales yeah. to say, it's not just a nice to have that you, that you, you know, we need yeah. to educate you and inspire you and raise this up in your yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs by educating, mm -hmm. inspiring, or entertaining you to the point where you not only go, this would be nice to have to our business, but this is an absolute, we need this. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's often underrepresented, isn't it, in competitive intelligence is the do nothing. Yeah. Is how absolutely. do we compete with do nothing? Yeah. Because yeah. they because uh, we focus in on the what you could do. Yeah. Right? You know, so this is yeah. this is replete in technology sales. Yeah. It's like you could do yeah. this and you can do that and you could do this yeah, and you yeah. could do that. And the buyer goes, Yeah, that would be nice, but I don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I, and, and, and content marketing in an educational standpoint takes that you could do this, you could do this, you know, this is the class mm -hmm. features and benefits arguments, takes mm -hmm. those features and benefits and puts them into context into how could you be a better person by mm -hmm. doing this? You know, what value educationally or inspirationally can I give you that helps you understand that once you have this thing, yeah, you can do all those things, but yeah. you can ultimately be a better person because of this wow yeah yeah and i i'm feeling I, I, i'm being slightly con i'm not being contrary and i'm going to flip that as well because i'm thinking as well that maybe it sometimes as our jobs as content marketers in that instance is 
to show them what happens when they do nothing. You know, because there's winners and losers in the market. And if you don't react, then this could happen to you. Do you, do you see any of, do you, do you ever play in that sort of yeah. more negative side of content? Absolutely. Marketing? You know, it's, yeah. I will say that this is the biggest, it's funny because I'm just working on a presentation about this in thought mm-hmm. leadership. It is the biggest missing piece for most thought leadership in B2B, which is, yeah. I call it the implications of change layer. Yeah. In other yeah. words, if you make this change, if you buy this enterprise CMS, if you buy this um, generator, you know, set of generators for your manufacturing business, what are the implications yeah. of that? Good and bad, right? Yeah. In other words, yeah, yeah. what what are the traps that you could fall into? Most marketing and sales organizations in B2B don't want to go anywhere near that. I mean, when was the last time you heard yeah. an enterprise CMS software provider go, this is going to really suck. That you know, yeah. implementing this product is going to take up eighteen months of your life, and it's going to be horrible. Yeah. But yeah. you know, yeah. and and here are all the horrible things that are about to happen to you. <laughs> Here's how they can be made slightly better, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd, that'd be that. That'd be uh, that would be a bold move. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? <laughs> Didn't. Oh God! Didn't um didn't your chum Joe Paluzzi talk about this on something where he was talking about how you should outline exactly what happens if you subscribe to my newsletter? I'm going to email you, and then I'm going to. E- I think he did something like that, but it well, was a was similar me. sort of thing. Oh, was it you? Was... I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> Joe takes all the credit for your work. I yes, he does. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. Yeah, it's exactly that, isn't it? Is if you. Um, tell people what you're going to do with their data, then, um, yeah, would that work? Yeah, that's exactly right. Were were you at least talking to Joe when you said it? uh, No, I wasn't actually. I was was writing something. (laughs) I think think now you stop the weekly wrap, I've completely forgotten about it. (laughs) Well, that's that's common in my world. (laughs) I'm easily forgotten. That's that's my T-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's not true i know that there's a lot of consternation in the content marketing world when you stop in the <laughs> weekly wrap but i'm not going to go on about that again this week because that was clumsy last time so so that's a great thought so so we need to um uh so so uh, so so we need to think about how in, in b2b and b2c how we um how we make people not just want our things but need our things and that's what we do with our content marketing is that a good summary yeah, I think it's, you know, it's yeah. the opportunity, right? You know, when people yeah. go, well, what is the point of trying yeah. to, you know, you know, when you think of content marketing beyond just like frivolous sort of cat videos and you say, yeah. what is the point of all of that? The, the point yeah. is, is that we can teach our customers to be better customers or teach our customers how to be customers. But all of that mm-hmm. is in the, the context of helping our customers become better people, not just smarter because they bought our product, but smarter because they bought our product and learned how to do something better with it. That's, and that's at the heart of a great content marketing strategy, which is helping, you know, helping people understand that what it is we're delivering to them doesn't just, you know, uh, ultimately give them some shiny new thing. It gives them a shiny Mm -hmm. new thing that helps them, 
move along a process, move along, you know, move along in their lives. That's the opportunity. And when I think about it like that, it's a great business case for it because that's Mm -hmm. a differentiator that uh, many of our competitors probably aren't availing themselves of. Yeah, that's that's a brilliant thought. And is that something you've written about? Um, Seeing as I am forgetting about anything you've actually done, but uh, Uh, well, you'll you'll shortly forget about them, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) I think Joe said something about this, didn't he? Once, (laughs) yes, yes. You can get that at JoePolizzi dot com and and. <laughs> uh, but we can find you at contentadvisory.net, correct? At least you can remember indeed. that. Indeed. <laughs> you can indeed. Or you can forget about me on social media as well at Robert underscore yeah, Rose at, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> yes, splendid. Well, um, as if I remember to come down to the bar next week, uh, will I see you there? <laughs> you will. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you, Robert. Excellent. Hope you agree that was well worth replaying and definitely I have figured out bloody outlook and so we'll have something fresh for you next week. So that's a wrap on episode 133 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Liz and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know on the socials or please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff Clark will be in the studio. I go backstage with Spectrum CEO Max Koziak to discuss B2C conversational marketing. And Robert Rose will be back in the bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.